0: You sitting over here, Tyler, where are you? Front row, row, right there. People want to know. They may be wanting to stop by and talk with you afterwards. Thanks for reading that. Tyler got off easy. He only had to read three verses. It's kind of strange. Today, we're going to look at just three verses. Next week, we're going to look at the entire chapter, uh, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. But before we go there, just one more reminder, dovetail on what uh, Jeff said about man-to-man. We start this coming Wednesday. We also have that available on Sunday evenings, if that's a better schedule for you guys. Now, I don't want to shame you, but you do need to remember that Michelle and I bought these books for all of you to have on our anniversary. So you should have one. But if you've already dropped it off at Goodwill, we do have some more over here that you can get. So love for you to pick it up. And if you would try to read the first chapter introduction and first chapter by Wednesday, that would be helpful. We're going to be starting off with Lane Elsie. He is going to be our starter for this series. We're trying to incorporate as many guys under 45 to lead us out in this. And so it's going to be a fun time of seeing new leadership rising up in our church. So guys, I hope you'll be here. Sign up after this service. Well, as we continue in our series, Eavesdropping on Godly Counsel, we come to the end of the first chapter as we continue to see Paul coaching his young protege, Timothy, of how to fight the good fight. The good fight. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 18 through 20. And as Tyler had just read, it is a reminder to us of how we can fight the good fight. He really just puts down some very practical ways for us to fight the good fight as he continues through this book. We are at war. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Friends, we are in a battle We have been dropped into enemy territory. It's important for us to know that. We may not want to be in a fight. We may not like conflict. We don't want war. We just want peace. But we are in a fight. And as Paul is relating to Timothy, he's reminding him, of what God has called him to do. Calling is so important. I remember when I was 17 years of age and I sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor. It was, a, it was kind of vague to me. I couldn't tell. It was pastor, missionary, pastor, missionary. I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. Maybe I've already done the missionary thing. I was a summer missionary for three different summers. Uh, but I couldn't figure it out. But I have sensed that God was calling me. And many times throughout, uh, one of the things you always need to know is that a pastor has an ongoing resignation letter written up every Monday morning. It's just that sense of, you know, you just need to quit, give it up. You're not making any difference whatsoever. And you go back to that calling and you're reminded, no, God has called me to do this. I need to stay in the game, stay in the fight. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Man, I know you're discouraged. You're wrestling with all these people that are kind of going in a bunch of different directions, but you need to stay in the fight because that's what God has called you to do. Ephesians, Remember, he's talking to the, the church at Ephesus. He's talking to Timothy, who's a pastor at the church of Ephesus. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul would say that the, the, the evil one, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see truth. He is waging war against the Lord, waging war against us. John 10:10. 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. He is waging war against the kingdom of light. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. This is Satan is like a prowling lion, roaring, seeking someone to devour. Second Corinthians 11:14. He's an angel of light. He's deceptive. He can make everything look so good when it is so wrong. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists created the Doomsday Clock in 1947. You, some of you have seen the Oppenheimer uh, movie and you, you know about this great uh, uh, weapon of mass destruction. And in all of that, they said, We need to be aware of what could happen to humanity, so they created this warning to give us a proximity to the global annihilation that we might be a part of. The term that secular media now ironically calls Armageddon, referring to Revelation 16, 16. And that clock is now closer than it has ever been to midnight, which is noted as the hour of doom. It stands just 90 seconds away from midnight. We are at war and it never Stops. We have seen seasons of war throughout human history, but this is a war that will never stop. Reminds me of a friend who has lost weight. She's in the restaurant business, and Michelle and I stopped by one evening and said, "Wow, you look great. You've lost so much weight." And she laughed and said, "No, you never lose it. It just sits over there waiting to come back on. Well, that's like the battle that we are in. It's never over. It's always waiting for us, ready to pounce upon us. So we must choose sides. First 1 Timothy 1.18. Fight the battle well. Fight the good fight. See, there is a good fight, and there is a bad fight. And we must choose which fight we will engage in. Even today, as we sit here in this room, feeling so safe and secure, feeling as if this is all that we see, even now in this room, are spiritual beings that we cannot see. You think, okay, you're sounding kind of creepy to me now. But friends, there are spiritual beings in this room even now. There is warfare being waged even now against our very souls, trying to see if we will move away from the true worship of holy God. This battle is personal as well as collective. That's why Paul in that great treatise in Romans, in Romans chapter 7, he would say, you know, it's a battle I want to do the right thing, and I keep on doing the wrong thing. It's a personal battle that we all fight, and we must fight. We must fight the good fight. He would also say to those writing in Ephesians, Ephesians 2.2, it was our reading in the daily Bible reading calendar this last Thursday, a reminder that this is how all of you at Ephesus used to be. You used to follow after the prince Of darkness, but now you are following after Christ. So friends, we may not want to choose or we feel like we've already chosen, but it's a daily choice. Are we going to engage in the good battle, and are we going to fight the good battle and not the bad battle of complacency? Our weapons are provided. We see that in verses 19 and following. It says, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and some have shipwrecked with regard to their faith. Among them are Hominius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. We also see that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Again, the very people that he's writing to. What is faith? Faith is an all-inclusive word to describe all that we believe in Christ and our relationship with him. So when he's saying it, this is about your relationship with Christ. All that you know, the truth of Scripture, hang on to that. God has given that through His Word. The Scriptures guide us, and that's why it's so important for us. And that's why you'll hear me from time to time say, well, it was in our Bible reading this last week. You may not be on that plan, but I pray that you're on a plan, reading through Scripture, allowing it to feed your soul. What we read in Scripture never changes. That's why we just keep reading it over and over and over. Some of you have been to to Arlington Cemetery and you've been to the tomb of the unknown soldier and you know what it is to stand there and see the pageantry of these guards going back and forth 24-7. And when they come to the end of their duty and they're relieved of their duty, they exchange this little simple verbiage. Orders remain as directed. Nothing's changed. You keep doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And then the one that is coming on guard says, orders acknowledged. I agree, I acknowledge that the orders remain the same. And as Christians, when we gather together for worship, we're basically doing that. We're saying the orders remain as directed. And we say, Lord, we acknowledge that and we continue to move in that direction. Some today talk about deconstructing their faith. May we know that you cannot deconstruct what never existed? That's like going to the Golden Gate Bridge with a, a, a wrench and say, I'm going to deconstruct this just to see if it's real. You can't deconstruct what never existed. And Paul is reminding us we must hang on to our faith. Don't deconstruct it. Good gracious, no. Keep constructing it through God's Word and the guidance of God's Spirit. You see, when our hearts are filled with Christ, and that's another passage that Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, again, the church to whom he is writing through Timothy, when our hearts are filled with Christ, we don't try to fill them with other things. But when our hearts are not filled with Christ, they become a vacuum that will suck in anything. And so Paul is admonishing Timothy as he fights the good fight against false teaching in the church. He says, cling to your faith, the faith that has been handed down to each one of us through God's word and those who have gone before us. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Again, he's writing to Ephesus, this church, the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard. Stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of Lord, the Lord's people. This is the faith that we're talking about. This is the battle plan. We have to choose. Many of you are football fans, and, and uh, Jeff was reminding me uh, earlier I tried to watch the Alabama game yesterday. D- did you try to watch that on Spectrum? There's a battle between Spectrum and Disney. Going on, and They got this little verbiage on there. When you watch all of these games and sporting events. What do you have? You have one team against another. And you choose which, are you gonna, which side are you going to be on. And we choose which side we're going to be on. And once we've decided which side we're going to be on, then we are fighting the good fight, I pray. And then we cling to the faith and the good conscience. He says the good conscience. That implies that there's a bad conscience. And that's true. John Calvin, who said a bad conscience is the mother of all heresies. Could have been speaking that to the church at Ephesus. There was false teaching, heresy going on there. What is a conscience? That is so ambiguous. Our conscience is a gift from God that works like an engine light. When things are going right, we move about with peace in our hearts. When your engine light is not on, you drive with peace, right? I mean, there's another engine light that comes on, and that's the little thing that reminds you, you know, that E on your gas gauge, and some of you think that means enough. It, it means that you're almost empty. And when we look at those gauges, when they come on, something inside of us kind of tenses up. But when they're not there, we have peace. When things aren't going right, the light comes on, and it creates tension and dissonance. So we have to ask ourselves, do we address it or do we just move on and pretend like it's not there? Our conscience lets us know whether or not we are in alignment with what we say we believe. If our actions are lining up with what we say we believe, and that's why Paul is saying, your conscience. And remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the way that he uses conscience in this passage of scripture in, in, in 1 Timothy, is collective conscience. It's a conscience of God's people. It's not just, okay, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm good in my own heart. It's, are we in good standing with the rest of the church? And we're going to see how important that is in just a minute. A conscience is a, is a great gift from God. That allows us to move in the right direction to make sure that we are in alignment with what we say we believe. King David gives us great insight in that and some of the readings that we've had over the last couple of weeks. 1 Samuel 24, 5. Saul was in a cave, and you need to read the story of why he was in the cave. And he had taken off his outer garment and he had laid it down. And David and his men were hiding out. Saul's sole purpose of being there, the only reason he was in that area was to try to kill David. And so Saul goes into the cave, and you read the story. David's men are in the back of the cave, and they say, this is your moment. God has delivered him into your hands. And so David sneaks up behind David in the darkness of this cave, and he cuts off the corner of his robe. He doesn't kill him, but he cuts off the corner of his robe. And then it tells us later that he was conscious stricken by what he had done. Because he had done harm to the king, disrespect to the king, and his conscience communicated that to him. So it's a good reminder when it comes to your conscience, don't cut corners. <laughs> At least you'll remember it, right? In 2 Samuel 24:10, read that uh, just this week. David decides that rather than putting his confidence in God, which he did when he fought Goliath, he decided he would put his confidence in his military, so he called for a census. So Joab went and did the census, came back and gave him all the numbers, and and then it says that David was conscious stricken because the engine light went off in his heart. That he was trusting in his military rather than trusting in God, and because he was a man after God's own heart, his conscience told him this was wrong, and that's why Paul says to Timothy, cultivate your conscience. Don't just throw it in the back back seat of your car and say, you know, when I need it. Cultivate your conscience through Scripture, through prayer through worship, through being in the presence of God. Cultivate it so that it will be true to what you say you believe. Failure to fight, to fight well, is lethal. Building on to the faith, and holding on to the faith and good conscience, which some have rejected. They've turned away from that. They've said, I'm going to do something different to fight the good fight. I'm not going to use those weapons. Some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Failure to fight well is lethal. When we drop our weapons in the middle of a battle, we open ourselves for serious harm, even for death. And when we don't realize that we are in a spiritual battle continuously, We will have the temptation to not put on the full armor of God and then we make ourselves vulnerable to the evil one who never misses a step. C.S. Lewis was the one who said, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. That sounds a little bit serious, but he was saying don't depend upon the days past. Recognize it. Every day, imagine a soldier getting ready to go out to battle and say, you know, I, I wore the armor yesterday. I think I'm just going to take a pass today. Every single day, we must equip ourselves to go into the battle so that we can fight the good fight. And did you notice the terminology there? He was saying, some have, have suffered shipwreck. That was something that they understood a little bit better in their day because that was a main source of transportation. And you knew that when a ship had been wrecked, it was catastrophic. Very likely, there there was fatalities that went with that. One of the most recent that that dovetails two of these together is the Ocean Gate Titan. Back in June, you recall that five men went down into that submersible submarine and never came up. Interesting enough that even though that submarine had gone down to the Titanic a number of times before, there were over 30 engineers that had sent warnings saying this is not a safe vessel. This needs to be taken care of, otherwise something catastrophic is going to happen. But the warnings were not heeded. And now uniquely, 30 warnings for the Titan... And it now lays in the bottom of the ocean, two and a half miles below the surface of the sea, just 1,600 feet from another shipwreck that didn't take heed to seven warnings about icebergs, the Titanic. 111 years separate the two shipwrecks, but they're both shipwrecks because they did not take heed to the warnings. So important for us to be reminded of that. Puritan John Owen said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. We are in a good fight, and we must be vigilant. And we must fight for one another. When we get to the end of this passage of Scripture... It seems so counterintuitive to understand the true meaning of this passage. Verse 20. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, talking about those who have shipwrecked their faith, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught, not to blaspheme. Apparently, these were two men who were leaders in the church, much like the 12 spies who went in to survey Canaan for the Hebrew people. Those 12 spies, all of them were leaders. That's why they were chosen. Yet 10 of them came back and influenced a wrong decision. Apparently, these two men were influencing wrong decisions within the church, and Paul sounds very abrasive. I'm handing them over to Satan, that they can be taught not to blaspheme. Is he being calloused, or is he being caring? The point we're making here is we must fight for one another. Who is Hymenaeus? In 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 through 19, the next book that Paul would write to Timothy. He says, this is a man who is telling everybody that the resurrection has already occurred. We've missed it. It's past. Nothing we can do about it. It was an engine light in the church that was disrupting the whole fellowship. Who is Alexander? Alexander, if you recall, in in chapter 19 of the book of Acts, in which this church has its kind of, its, its genesis, this great riot is going on, and they push Alexander out in the front of this big riot to try to steal the crowd, and once they realize he's a Jew, then they just start screaming even the louder. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 14, Paul is saying, that Alexander was a metal worker who had inflicted great harm on him. So the thought might be, is possibly he was a guy in the riot who worked with the metal trade, and he was somehow trying to merge together Christianity and the worship of Artemis. Don't know, just speculation. But saying that Christ was not enough, that's what blasphemy is, is to disregard the work of Christ And to say, it's Christ plus something else. Christ is not enough. It is a blasphemy to believe that Jesus Christ is not enough to save us from the power and the penalty of sin. And the word taught there, interesting word. Parents, you may want to use this. Taught not to blaspheme. It literally means to suffer physical harm to learn for the purpose of learning. And so what Paul was doing is he was turning these men outside of the church, the protective nature of the church, so that they would be taught not to blaspheme against Christ and follow the truth of what God's Word says. What was Paul doing? He was doing what I have said to my kids from time to time as they grew up, and they disagreed with the decisions I made. Michelle made them, and I carried them out. I would say, I'm not fighting against you. I'm fighting for you. And they would look at me like, you got to be crazy because it feels like you're fighting against me. That's what it feels like here. Paul is saying, these guys think I'm fighting against them, but I am fighting for them. What For what reason? The the, the hope of redemption, that's the whole purpose of discipline that we have in Scripture. Matthew chapter 18 and and, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It gives us, it helps us to see that there is a need for church discipline and there's also a methodology for church discipline. He's trying to give them a chance to move out of the protective nature of the church so that they will better understand the significance of faith see their sin, and return to it. We don't practice church discipline enough. We're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Make them feel bad. The truth is, a lot of people have already put themselves in time out doing church discipline all by themselves. It's kind of like a dog, Chaco. Uh, We would say to him in a very strong tone, Chaco! Michelle would do that. I would. And As soon as his name was heard, he would run into his house because he knew that he was in trouble. He'd put himself in time out. A lot of Christians do that. Friends, I'm disturbed, even our church, the number of Christians that have put themselves in time out that don't engage in the fellowship. Why do we come together? It's not to hear a sermon. It's not to just go to Sunday school. It's not just to sing. We come together to be reminded that we are following truth. And if you hang outside long enough, I wouldn't encourage you to do this, but just skip five, six, seven Sundays. Over time, you will start thinking that this isn't that serious. Am I I right? Some of you have missed a couple weeks in a row. And it's like, this is starting to feel kind of comfortable. And when we start moving outside the protective nature of the church, and, and we think, well, what's so protective here? What do we do? We remind each other of the priority of the faith. Do you not have anything better to do this morning? Are there not a thousand other places you could be? Are there not a zillion different things you could be finding online? yes. But we have set all of those aside to come together to say this is most important. This helps protect me, coming together with other Christians. And that's the nature of the church, and that's one of the reasons that we need it. Because Satan is waging war against us. Who is Satan? Well, about two months ago, a five-star hotel in India lodged a complaint with the police department because they had a guest who had checked in for one night two years ago. But this guest continued to stay and extend the stay and extend the stay and extend the stay for nearly two years until he checked out and didn't pay his bill of $71,000. Friends, is that not a picture of Satan? Satan, He stays much longer than we expect, and he always leaves us with a tab. That's why we must fight the good fight, because he not only does that to us, he does that to our friends and to our family and to our neighbors. We must be like Eliezer, another part of the daily Bible reading, we find it in 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 8 through 10. It's the end of David's life and giving summation to the men that have stood with him, talking about his mighty men. It says, one of the three mighty warriors, Eliezer, was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathering at past Damon for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. What a, what a picture. They gather together to fight the Philistines, and then the Israelite army vacates. They retreat. But it says, Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. That is the picture that Paul is calling Timothy to and us to. That we would fight the good fight and not lay down our weapons, the weapons of God's word and prayer, relationship, the Holy Spirit, that we would cling to what God has given us, and we would hold it tight until they have to tear it out of our hand when our life is over. Friends, are you in for the good fight? I pray that you are. And are you in the right fight? Do you know that God loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him? But if you are not yet a Christian, friend, you need to know that Satan is fighting with all of his power to keep you from that relationship. Your sin separates you from a holy God. You are as separated from God as that shipwreck is at the bottom of the sea because of sin. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can rescue us from our sin and make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, acknowledge that we are sinners. We sing these songs about we are forgiven, we are the redeemed. It's the acknowledgement, I need forgiveness because i have sinned against you O oh lord as david would say and jesus christ will forgive us it requires us surrendering our life to christ and if you've never done that i want to invite you to join me in a prayer of acknowledgement inviting christ to be the lord of your life the beginning point of a relationship with him and i can't emphasize that enough it is simply the beginning point It is saying, I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, right now is the time for you to maybe even kneel where you are in that pew and pray for someone that you know is not yet a Christian. Fight the good fight for them. See, the good fight is not just that we fight to keep Satan off of us. We are fighting the good fight to keep the the truth of the gospel pure and that the gospel spreads and transforms other lives. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is God's plan to rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin. The penalty that separates us from God and the power of sin that keeps us from being what God has created us to be. So let's begin to pray together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for words that give us guidance and direction, words that serve as such strong warnings. We think of these two men that thousands of years later are still being talked about because they shipwrecked their lives, not heeding the warnings of your word, seeking to find an alternative to the gospel. God, I pray that we would be the people of faith that would fight the good fight that we would never lay down our weapons, that we would never become complacent, that we would never believe that the war is over. God, that we would be a people that are advancing, not hunkering down and moving into the bunker but advancing into the battlefield, knowing that you have given us everything we need to not only fight the good fight, but to win it. God, we know that there are people that have never received you as Lord and Savior, and our hearts are heavy for them because we know how desperately they need you. Even now, some of us in this room are kneeling, praying for those that we know need you. And we pray that one day they would surrender their life to you and voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, thank you for the redemption that we have through Christ. May it not just be a concept that that we celebrate in worship. God, may it be a catalyst that moves us to live lives that are changed, that are transformed, that each and every day we're becoming more and more like the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we come to this time of commitment invitation uh, you may feel as if god is leading you to to do something beyond uh just who knows what that might be maybe to become a member of this church maybe to be baptized to follow up in believers baptism. it could be that maybe god is even calling you into ministry just like he did for me at the age of 17 just like paul was referring to timothy saying when you were called maybe it's time for you to acknowledge that and say i feel like god is calling me into ministry Some of you have maybe have never committed your life to Christ. You heard me talk about that. Maybe you prayed or maybe you're thinking about that and you want some more help. Be reminded this communication card is right here. It's in front of you. Put your name and phone number. Meet us at the connection desk right out in the atrium after the service or I'll be at the cross. You can pray together. We'll have a deacon and his wife standing at each one of these aisles. Friends, don't Leverage that. If you have some concern in your heart, you want someone to just pray over you. You might even say, I don't even tell you. I just need for you to pray over me. May we take advantage of praying for one another. So let's stand together and let's respond as God would lead us.
1: we are the risen and he shall